discernment, because we know there's bad guys out there, right? There are. They use these things to capture. But I'm telling you, if there is a, a driving burden in your heart, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know what I'm talking about, be obedient. Don't say, well, surely somebody else will take care of it. Be obedient. There is an old youth song uh, <laughs> that kind of captures the essence of this idea of uh, call and obey. And it goes like this. Now, I'm going to try to teach you all this song. Many of you heard it. It goes something like this. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes. And here's a third part. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes. But I'm going to tell you, I don't know the rest of that song. That's all I know. It's kind of been drilled in my head. But really, that captures the essence of what's going on here. As God is speaking, Abraham is saying, yes, Lord. The initial call, Abraham, yes, Lord. I want you to leave your country, yes, Lord. I want you to leave your family, yes, Lord. I want you to leave your father's house, yes, Lord. And I want you to trust me to go out in this country that I'll show you sometime in the future, not yet. Yes, Lord. And it's very clear from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, he obeyed. And it's very much captured here in this scripture here. When he was called, he obeyed. There is instant obedience. And I wonder what would happen in Yuli if God's people was sensitive and walking with the Spirit responded every time a burden on our heart was placed to do whatever. Help somebody with groceries at the grocery store. Help somebody on the side of the road. Meet a financial need that you've come aware of that God's placed on your heart that you're the answer to the prayer. Get involved in this missions activity we're doing April 2nd. Pick a team. Go out and serve. What would happen? I'm going to tell you, Nassau County would turn upside down. If we would just learn to be instantly obedient to what God's called us to do. If we would learn this idea that Abraham understood, when God speaks, I listen, and the theme song is, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes. Something else I want you to notice. Obey going to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance sometime in the future, don't even know where it's at, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, through Brother Mike's sermons and even what I have preached here recently, knowing, knowledge, there's, there's several Greek words for it. You know, one of it is one we know as... As uh, let me find Gnosko, you know that that's that experiential knowledge. You know, you learn by doing type thing. Not used here. There's another one, oida. Oida is that uh, is very similar to the word I used last week in this idea of knowledge that's perceived, that's received in the mind. But the word that's used here in Greek is epistomai, which is really putting one's attention on to focus one's thoughts on. In other words, you're knowing by just you're, you're concentrating on it, you're studying it, you're, it's the focus of your life. You, you see what I'm saying? That kind of knowledge, that kind of knowing of, of, of just, man, your whole waking hours is kind of looking at that. What's interesting, that word is looked, is used right here for Abraham, but it's used in the, it's negated. It says this. He lived, well, uh, see, uh, for inheritance he went out not knowing where he was going. So what is this saying? God had given these promises, but he went out not focusing on what land he was going to live in, not concentrating his efforts on where God was going to lead him and what the land's going to look like. Woo, God's going to bless me, going to get me a, a 10 acres over the Jordan River. Uh, man, it's going to be good. Matter of fact, the whole land's going to be mine. It was saying that that was not the substance of what he was concerned about. That's not knowing, not focused on where God was leading him. You know what? He was more concerned about the one who gave the promise than the promises given. Evident by the end of his life, but even evident by the Hebrew author here. God, I'm going to trust you. And, I, I, and let me put in a little King Jimmy thing. Like, boy, I appreciate these blessings you're going to pour out on me, but my heart's towards you. 
I want to be where you're at. I want to be doing what you've called me to do. And whether you manifest these blessings here in my lifetime that I can enjoy them uh, or not, if you want to postpone it to some other time, to you be glory, to you be the honor. I'm seeking you. You see the difference? I think sometimes in Christianity we want all the blessings and we want to call it faith. But man, faith is not about a promise as much as it's about a person and having a passionate love for them, and that is Jesus Christ. And God, whether you, all the blessings you've promised us as being your children, we realize it on this side of glory or next is irrelevant. I want to love you. I want to follow you. I want to do your bidding. I want to be all about you, God. That's the passion in my heart. That's where the focus of my faith is going to be, is obeying you and seeking your will for my life. Do you see that? It's awesome. His intention, his attention, his focus was obeying God, and it caused him to do an unthinkable thing during his time. You know, even in the Christian church, it's kind of amazing. You know, I wonder uh, how many parents, you know, we always want the other kid to go to the deepest, darkest part of Africa, right? Yeah, amen, praise God. But when God starts messing with your own child, like, whoa, now. Hey, I've been there, okay? I'm in there now with both of my children, but it's, it is a blessing. But I'm going to tell you something, and it, 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 as honest as I can be, this is true. I would rather them be on the other side of the world and obedient to God than right next door living in disobedience to God. One of them may carry short-term gratification for me. I get to love my new grandbabies, spend time with them, but that is so temporal. I would rather them being living in faith wherever God called them to be because we got eternity to be together. Man, let's accomplish what God's called us there. Um, Abraham's confidence. Paul captured this in Romans chapter 4, verses 19 through 24, as he kind of recalls this faith that Abraham happened. And you can look at it, or I'll read it to you. It's Romans chapter 4, 19 through 24. And you might want to read that whole section. It's pretty awesome. But I really want to get on this point how Abraham's faith was simply based on God and his ability to fulfill promises. It says this, Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now listen to this. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God promised, he was also able to perform. i got to read that again. With respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God promised, he was also able able to perform god i believe you you said it that settles it for me those bumper stickers kind of crack me up god said it i believe it and that settles it that's a bogus sticker god said it that settles it doesn't matter whether we believe it or not god says it that settles it doesn't it amen it does it does but abraham his faith was built on the promise of god and he said if god promised it it's going to happen just as sure as anything else i can count on in my life even more so how do I know that? We all know about the test. And I tell you, this is, this is a struggle for us sometimes. Abraham was tested in a way that we can't fathom. And, and, and God tests our faith. We need to know that. He never tempts us, but he does test our faith. It's for our own good. You know, when a teacher gives a test, when I was in school, I thought the whole purpose of the test was to torture me. You ever been in that? There are teachers here. Don't raise your hand because I'll, I'll stop praying for you. No, I was kidding. But no, 
Man, a teacher gives the test for multiple reasons to see if you're grasping what you need to understand. But listen, a test can be the greatest confidence builder that you've ever had. You know, if you've studied hard and you've taken a test and you blow it away, how did you come out of that test? Now, you're going to have to tell me because I never had many experiences like this. <laughs> Squeaking by. But, but I am sure if you blew a test away after studying, there's this new confidence in the subject matter. There's a mastery of the subject matter. Well, God is going to test Abraham in a way that, boy, it just kind of, sometimes it, it, how? Why would God have asked this? But I'm going to tell you, Abraham passed the test, and it strengthened him like nothing else would have. Well, what was the test? We're going to go back in Genesis again. Abraham was 100 years old, 25 years into the promise. 25 years into the promise, he finally had his son, Isaac. But before he was born, in chapter Genesis chapter 17, chapter 17, if you look through that, that's God establishing his covenant with Abraham. He goes through circumcision, but I, want, I don't want to read all that, but I do want to capture verse 19. Chapter 17 of Genesis, verse 19 says this, But God said, No, but Sarah your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Now, what's happening here? Finally, God has uh, fulfilled a promise, at least the start of a promise. After 25 years of waiting, Abraham now is going to be promised a son, Isaac, and he is born, and he grows, and he becomes a young man. And here is what's troubling for us sometimes to understand. God calls for Abraham to sacrifice him. Turn with me to 22. And again, I'm not going to read the text. Allow me to kind of share with you. God says, I want you and the boy to go to this place I'm going to show you, and I want you to sacrifice him. Now, a lot of thought and conjecture has been given to this, but I'm going to tell you something. Abraham was going to sacrifice his son, but he wasn't doing it out of blind faith. He was doing it on a substantial faith, a substantive faith, if you will. Why? Because what did I just read? I just read to you where God promised him that he would have a son and he would call him Isaac and God said, I am going to establish my covenant with him. So what is the promise? The promise is, Abraham, your son, after you pass away, I'm going to establish my covenant with him. I am convinced that when Abraham went up that mountain, he was going to come right back down with his son. Didn't know how God was going to do it, how God was going to work it out, but his faith was in a promise that God had given that Isaac would be blessed, that Isaac would continue the covenant. Let's look when they gather together. They're, they got the donkeys hooked up. They're carrying the crew out there, and that's where 22 kind of starts. Look at verse 5. And Abraham said to his young men that were kind of helping him out, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham's saying right now, Listen, we're going to go over here and worship, and then we are going to return to you. But that seems counterintuitive to some extent because God's asking to sacrifice his own son. And with all intention, you see the, the tension of the text when they get up there. Uh, they strap Isaac down. And I tell you, it took a lot of faith on Isaac's part too, didn't it? I don't know if Dad had a knife and tied me up. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> but uh, as he drew the knife back, we know God halted that. And he said, Abraham, now I know you love me. You have passed the test. You have proven to me that you were not even going to hold back your own son from me. 
And he says this, now I'm blessing you. Hold on to your shirt. That's a King Jimmyism again. I'm going to bless you. You thought you were blessed before. You're going to be blessed now. Well, I said something kind of challenging, didn't I? I said Abraham knew when he was going up the hill. The Hebrew writer kind of opens us and lets us in a little bit more of what was going on. Turn back to Hebrews now. Remember, they went up the hill, and I'm telling you, Abraham knew what was going to happen, not because of any kind of knowledge he had, because of what? The promise of God. The promise of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, right below the text we read. It said, By faith, Abraham, when what? He was tested, offered up Isaac, and who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it said, In Isaac, your descendants shall be called. Who said that? God said that. And listen to verse 19. And he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type. Going up the mountain, going through obviously what the scripture is revealing here, Abraham saying, yeah, I can strike my son, but God made a promise that he's going to restore his covenant with Isaac. So guess what? God is powerful enough. If I strike him down, he's going to raise him up. Man, you can't help but see the type the Hebrew writer is saying here. It all correlates so close to Jesus, doesn't it? Stricken, but even Jesus was risen or dead. Isaac's life was not going to be required. The test of Abraham's heart and how faithful he was going to be to God in trusting promises was the test. And Abraham says, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm going up this mountain and I'm going to be faithful to what God has called me to do. He has said that my son Isaac is going to carry on the promised seed. So whatever happens, if I strike him down, God's going to raise him up. Not sure what's going to happen, but God's in control and I've got his promise. And I'm going to trust him and do whatever he's commanded to do. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. That's faith that Jimmy, I don't think I can muster up. I, God speaks to me and says to strike my son, but yet gave me a promise. And like, okay, Lord, but listen, here's how it usually plays out. God, I understand your promises, but this is the real world. If I put this knife in this boy's chest, he is going to die. Now, I understand your promises, okay? I understand. I appreciate that. But this is the real world. You know, that's exactly where God wants his promises to work in the real world. This isn't some philosophical thought. This is the creator God giving us words, giving us promises, giving us truth. And it's, it's, it's absolute truth, meaning it applies to all people in all places and for all time. And we struggle with it because it's so contrary to the way we think. The call of God is... Trust me and see if I don't prove myself faithful to my word. Church, that is not a blind faith. That is a substantive faith. That's a faith that is challenging to your heart. And I hope it is this morning. God, where you lead, I'll go. What you say, I will do. And it's not necessary for me to understand the whys and hows. You see that in Scripture this morning? I'm going to tell you, as I prepared this week, man, this pounded my heart. It, it pounded my heart in areas of my unfaithfulness, how I worry about things that I ought not to if I truly believe that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. In other words, his resources are not even able to be counted. What can we learn from the verse in Abraham's call? We need to just demonstrate our faith by obeying God and his word even if it conflicts with everything that makes sense to us. And I know there's someone here, and I tell you, I want to say, man, I want to, I want to make this 
Boy, I want to show God. I want to step out in faith. You're making a mistake unless you've been called. And I'm going to challenge you this. Why don't we begin trusting God in the seemingly little things? I'm talking about the church that meets every day, and you're my house. Let's start putting God's principles and trusting His Word where the rubber meets the road. In my relationship with my wife, God has given me certain principles how I'm to love her. And boy, sometimes they conflict with what I want to do. Yeah, it happens in my house too. But I'm to love her as Christ of the church. There is a way that she used to honor and respect me. And I'm sure at all times, <laughs> there's not a desire to honor and respect me. Children, as long as you're under the roof of your parents, you're to honor and obey them. But you don't understand, they got these ridiculous rules about coming in at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, and they're ridiculous. doesn't matter. It doesn't alleviate you, believer, youth, child, of your responsibility to honor your parents. You trust God, and you honor God, and you honor your parents. This is what God commanded. Trust Him. Trust Him at His word. It's really a matter of trust when we obey God's word. It's absolutely necessary for us to have an unshakable faith. You see that, church? We, we, we've got to have trust in God's promise. We've got to be obedient to his word if we're going to have this unshakable faith that stands the trials it faces each and every day. Got to trust God. Got to trust God. Hey, the other two points, we're going to move quickly. Look at verse 9. By faith he lived where he, uh, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in the tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Something really amazes me here. Abraham's under a promise, and he's in the promised land, but he's dwelling in a tent, not in a major city, not in a big house. And I tell you, if it was Jimmy Ham, not Abraham, I would think, well, you know, maybe I need to take the bull by the horns here. Lord, maybe you meant for me to raise up an army, and I can whoop these fellows and run them out. Because, see, sometimes in my life, I want to get ahead of God. You know, I may know God's call in my life, and then somehow I start wanting to lead God instead of allowing God to lead me. And I don't know about you, but it's an easy thing to do. But what we find Abraham doing is he is patiently waiting. And one of the things is if we're going to have an unshakable faith is we've got a faith, a faith focus on waiting on God to move, waiting on him to move. Sometimes that can be even a lifetime. Abraham was given these promises, and yet he died without even having the land as his possession that was promised. He knew God was going to complete it, but not in his lifetime. But what did Abraham do, obviously, from this text? What was he doing those years? The author is so careful to bring out that he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. These boys weren't born with the idea of, hey, I can trust God. I, I just need to try. Somebody had to what? Show them. And I'm going to tell you something. There must have been something in the way Abraham lived his life before his children that that faith caught on, if you will. They said, Dad not only believes this, but he is passionate about this. And as they watch him and view his life, uh, the failures and the successes and, and God uh, revealing himself mighty in the life of Abraham, they come to believe. And actually God establishes his covenant with Isaac. But while waiting, he was actively doing God's will within his own family. And as a result, Isaac and Jacob are, are fellow heirs of the same promise. You know, I wonder in our home, what are we doing? Do we leave here on Sunday and have the preacher for lunch? Do we talk about God's word? 
I am burdened that my son worked in Valdosta for a while. He's going to college with a youth, and uh, their pastor, their youth pastor, was very passionate about teaching the children the Word of God. But so often they'd go home and say, well, that's what the Bible says, but let me tell you, you are speaking volumes to that child. You're speaking volumes that, yeah, remember, that's a good thing to think of, but the reality of the world is, listen, the promises and Word of God, that's where it's meant to be played out in the real world. Oh, encourage your children what they're being taught by the youth pastor and the children's teacher. Man, when you go home, ask them what they learned in Sunday school. Oh, rejoice with them on principles they've been able to do and maybe share with them how you've been successful in that area or even where you failed in that area. Share with them. But he, while he was patiently waiting, he was active doing what God wanted him to do. Patience is a virtue, too. Patience is something that we got to have. You know, so many people say, man, I need to have more patience. Oh, don't pray for that. You know why they're saying that? Because they know what James says, right? Don't pray for patience. Because James says tribulation brings patience. But I'm going to tell you something. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 says love, joy, peace, long-suffering in King James, but patience in other translations. So that is a fruit of the Spirit. So while I don't enjoy going through trials and tribulations, I know it's meant for my good to make me more patient and learn to wait on God. So, yeah, we should be patient. In our own family, uh, my daughter was, was, she's not here now, but boy, I've had my grandbabies here. Oh, well, I won't go there. It's been all week. Man, it's been great. But, you know, my, my, my daughter is, is passionate about the homeless, or not the homeless, but the children who've been neglected. I mean, she worked in the state, and now she's fostering two kids, and, and it looks like now that uh, she's going to be able to adopt these. So overnight, I go from one grandbaby to three. Woo, amen, sweet. It's the fast track, I know. But uh, about a month ago, listen, it, it was tragedy. All along, uh, the biological parents weren't doing the training and going through the courses they need to get their children back. And uh, they were very mean to my daughter uh, during meetings. They viewed her as an enemy, not the, not the boyfriend so much as, as, as the mom. But it looked like the court was moving to terminate their rights and, and let my daughter adopt them. And one day, she got a mail and said, nope, the court's changed his mind. They're sending the kids back. Now, it's not the sending back that broke my daughter's heart. It's sending them back to a situation that hasn't changed. So in, in turmoil, I mean, she was crying, and she was saying, please pray. These kids can't be sent back to that home. And I'm going to tell you something. After fostering only for a week or so, you can't segregate your love. You can like, well, I'm going to take care of them, but I'm not going to love them. Impossible. You've invested your life, and now they're going to go back to a situation that's not. And she cried in prayer. Many of you, I called and asked you to pray about this. And, uh, but she was broken over this. But all I could tell her is, God, you know, baby, God's in control. God, God, trust God. Within 24 hours, 24 hours, the dad called and said, listen, we're about to move out of state. And uh, if y'all will still adopt our children, we'll sign over our rights to you because we know they're in a good home. And she said, well, I can't do this unless the mom agrees too. She got on the phone. Listen, she apologized for being so rude to her and said, if you will adopt my children, I will thank you for it and we'll take care of it. So that was a test for my daughter. But I'm going to tell you, the next day when she called, it's like Abraham coming down on a mountain. God is faithful. God is faithful. 
stand, and, and, and there's just not, nothing like whenever you go through a trial and tribulation, and I know we fail at times, but boy, every once in a while we actually trust God and we hold on to His Word and we find Him faithful. And man, is there a feeling like that? It's almost like being saved again, isn't it? It's almost like, praise God. My faith is not a blind faith. It is a substantial faith, and it helps undergird that idea of having a foundational faith, a substantial faith. See, some of us don't know that because, you know, we've never really trusted God. It's a nice idea, it's a nice concept, but I'm going to tell you it doesn't work there until it moves into your heart and it affects the way you live. That's when the power of God is released in your life. That is when the realness of the Spirit of God being in your life is known. So a focused faith is waiting on God. And I tell you, some of you are here probably saying, man, I'm a little confused. A while ago it was obedient faith, do it right now, and now you're saying be patient, but it all works together. And I'm going to tell you, study God's Word so that your faith may grow, you might hear from God. But listen to this. Follow God's word wherever he may lead, but allow him to do the timetable. You know, if God's calling you to some event or some ministry and you don't see how it's going to work out, just take a step in that direction. And whether it happens in the next week that God unfolds everything or whether you never see it by your life, you're going to be rewarded by your faithfulness in pursuing the call of God on your life. You see, somehow I think we get this idea that we've got to live a life like Abraham of notoriety, of, of many people seeing the great things God's doing in our life, whenever actually we've only got a few of all the faithful that ever lived. Many people lived a faithful life and not recorded in Scripture. But where it's recorded, where it's going to be benefit to us is when we get before God because He remembers everything. And I told you last week, it's a passion in my heart, is I want to stand before Jesus one day and and, I, and I'm somewhat fearful because I know my heart. I know what I do sometimes. But, oh, if I just hear, Jimmy, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. It's going to make everything here worthwhile. It's going to make every event meaningful just to hear my Savior say that. Oh, God, give me a focused faith. Give me a focused faith obeying you, but also teach me to be patient. And the final thing in just a few moments a focused faith is looking to God. Verse 10, for he was looking for the city which had foundations and architect and builder whose builder is God. Abraham had an unshakable faith. His faith was focused because he wasn't looking at the here and now. He had a long-term vision. His passion, he had a kingdom perspective. In other words, I want to live as if the kingdom of God is now or everything that's going to happen in the kingdom is a result of my faithfulness now. God, what is going to bring you honor and glory? Whether I see all these promises fulfilled or not is irrelevant. God, I want to be faithful to you. And how that would turn us around, I think, a little bit if we really took a kingdom perspective on the day-to-day -day life. Lord, how is my life today going to be an impact for your glory? God, is all things going to work together in my life for your good and for your glory? I pray so. Lord, give me the grace to exercise and demonstrate faith towards your name. It's an unshakable faith. It's a faith on looking to God. I'm concerned in my own life about time I spend doing trivial things that don't matter much. And don't get me wrong. I know God has given us some blessings to be enjoyed. That's no doubt. But man, let our heart be in tune with God. Let us seek his will. Focus on being obedient to him. Focus on living patiently, waiting on him to bring things about in our life without trying to take charge and lead God. Let God lead us. But most of all, let it be driven by the fact that 100 years from now, what we do now is going to greatly impact then. Get that long-term vision. If you're here this morning, some of this just may have escaped you. 
maybe here this morning says, I don't have a clue about faith. Let me share just a few things from God's Word. Uh, you're a sinner, but don't worry, you're in, good, you're in good company. We're all sinners. We search our heart, we know we've been disobedient to God this week. Now, really, there's only two things. We're going to stand before God with that sin and, 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 and reap the right punishment, or we're going to place our faith and trust and provision God has made in Jesus Christ. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus took your and my sin, and it was nailed to a cross. And by faith believing that, repenting of sin and turning to him, I can know the forgiveness of sin. I can realize that God has wiped my sin away. Not only that, has he adopted me as his child and has given me great and awesome promises to live by. So if that's you this morning, you want to know, come to know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I'll be here. But believer, I'm asking you this morning, as we move through this thing of faith, I pray God's been stretching you. I, I, I pray he's been opening your eyes, this idea of faith is just more, something more than what we say. It is a faith that is substantial. It is faith that can be trusted and counted on. And I just ask that you move and how God has moved in your heart this morning. Would you please stand? Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for, uh, God, your grace that we can even exercise faith, a saving faith. Uh, Lord, I know our first act of faith is when you make us realize there's sin in our life and, Lord, uh, turn us to the truth of the gospel that Jesus was a propitiation for that sin. Lord, he is a substitute. He took our place for what we deserve. But, God, after saving us, uh, Lord, you have given us great and awesome promises. God, you've given us principles to live by. And, Lord, we know this conflicts with our flesh. We know it conflicts many times with what we think or what we feel. But, God, let us be a people that lead our mind and lead our heart to the truth of the gospel. Lord, I have no doubt in this congregation you're calling people to do awesome things within this community. So, Lord, move in their heart. Give them the grace to exercise faith. Lord, those that are going through trials and tribulations now, Lord, make yourself known to them, uh, real to them. Lord, let them trust in your word. And God will give you glory and honor and praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.